0: Hello again, and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm glad to be here with you again this week as we continue our virtual study group where we seek to know God with heart and mind. That's really what we're after, and I'm glad that you've joined me on the journey. And we have begun a new study as of last week. This is the second part of what will be about a 36-week study in uh, Christian doctrine. And essentially, we're going to be taking down the Nicene Creed and studying each of its components. Now, we're not exactly going to go back and visit that each week, but each of its components is exposed in our uh, study. So if you're trying to keep up why get you a copy of the Nicene Creed. It's in most church hymnal, hymnals, and it's also easily, uh, attained online. So, uh, obtained online. So if you, you want to look at it and, uh, get a sense of it, that'll help you get an idea of where the study's going. But what we will do each week is take some of the excellent material from the Christian believer Bible study that uh, was created, uh, and published by Cokesbury, written by J. Ellsworth Callis many, many years ago, actually. And uh, I did this study when it first came out. I got to meet Dr. Callis once upon a time, and it's a really good study. And for anyone who wants to know more about what we believe in church and why, this is the study for you, because this takes it beyond the matters of faith that we learn from the Bible and the teachings or anecdotal traditions of our churches and our families, this takes you back to where the doctrinal standards came from. Now, what I mean by that is is none of those other things are bad in and of themselves, but to really enjoy a greater knowledge of what so many of us take for granted you have to kind of do your homework and find out just where some of these ideas came from and how we wrestle with them. So there's a part of this that's philosophical, a part of this that's theological, a part of it that involves your scientific or critical thinking, and uh, a little bit of of, uh, just, you know, I don't want to say faith because that sort of, contradicts something that I just said but it, it's faith in that what we will derive from these these uh, sources is a certain exception that uh, accepting that there is no way that we can fully understand or explain some of the things that we absolutely believe are true in Christian doctrine and so, with faith and with great respect for uh, the human intellect, we proceed, and it kind of gives us the essence of our title, which is Knowing God with Heart and Mind. In other words, with critical thinking and with faith. Now, before we begin, just a quick check-in with you. Uh, As you recall from earlier episodes of this podcast, I used to always open with some announcements and some stories from Parsons Prairie, but we're not in Parsons Prairie anymore, and uh, I'm actually broadcasting to you from a little corner of the pastor's basement, and I'll tell you, it's a great place to be today because it is hot out there. It is really hot and humid here in southern Indiana. And, uh, you know, as a person who has a propensity for sweat, I'm enjoying this very much in this nice, quiet little corner of my basement, which happens to be adjacent to the uh, heating and air conditioning system of my home, which means you can hear it in the background. Well, I never profess to be the creator of a highly professional uh, podcast recorded in some fancy studio, in uh, Nashville, New York, Chicago, or San Francisco or L.A. It is, in fact, my basement. So join me in the pastor's basement now for a Bible study. And uh, I hope you like it. And I hope that you'll join me in a commitment to this as not your only activity of worship and interaction with God. I created this so that people who can't be in church every week, who are thinking about joining a church or being a part of a church but aren't quite ready, uh, I created it for those people. I created this for those who are just hungry for more, who can't get enough. You know who you are. And this is why I do this, uh, for the sake of those people. And for my own sake, because I've had a passion for radio since I was a little kid. I've loved listening to audio entertainment. I, you know, My parents gave me a small record player when I was very small, very little, and, and uh, uh, I played my records, listened to stories and songs on it, and then as I got older I liked to lay in bed and listen to the radio at night. Uh, I got hooked on old-time radio uh, many, many years ago when the only way you could listen to it was to check out records at the local library and take them home and play them on your record player. Now I listen to old-time radio shows every night, streaming across the Internet to me. So I'm a bit of an a audiophile in, in a sense. I just love listening to and using my mind with... Uh, audio entertainment. So I couldn't help finding an excuse to create my own form of it. And the only thing that I can talk about pretty much endlessly is the Bible and theological matters. Now, some people who know me well would disagree because they would say there are other things, but until I start a podcast about those things, this is my topic. As always, let's begin with a word of prayer. The Apostle Paul says that ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things God has made. Almighty God, we know this is true. We know that Paul is correct when he says this. We know that as we gaze out our window and we watch the magnificent intricacies of nature that they have been fearfully and wonderfully made as we see the great majestic genius of your creation we are awestruck as we see in our own bodies and minds signs of your presence we are overwhelmed Frankly, it boggles our minds, Lord, that people could dismiss you so readily, and we repent whenever we have done that. And so, God, help us now to see how you reveal yourself and to go deeper in knowing you with our hearts and our minds. Amen. Well, by now, I hope you have read your... uh, Bible assignments from last week. Uh, They will come into play as we have our discussion here. You're going to recall some of those things as we go along. Perhaps you read that passage from Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul says, You can't look around and not see God's hand. So, how in the world does a person come to know God? I mean, By definition, God is entirely and utterly outside of our realm of comprehension. It stands to reason that you can't know God, really, and define God in any particular way without diminishing God's godliness. In other words, to be the ultimate being, the ultimate creator, then... That requires us to have an inability to fully comprehend. In fact, we must think of God as being a wholly other and apart from everything that God created. And we do this by first acknowledging that everything we see, taste, touch, hear, feel, smell, all these things are created. And God is the creator, And therefore, God is apart from that which God has created. And really, it goes even further than that. We have to acknowledge that God is even outside of space and time as we understand them because that's God's nature, because God created space and time as we understand them. And therefore, when God says to Moses from the burning bush, I am. That's exactly what God means, because God is and was and always will be. There's never a time when God isn't fully present, because there is no time. The Creator is apart from all of that. I know that's complicated, and I'll go you one further. I have in my own personal conviction a belief that what Moses saw as a bush that was consumed by fire, but not being burned up by the fire, I should say, then uh, what he was actually seeing was a portal into the realm of God that looked to him like the fire that did not consume the bush. And in fact, he was seeing something that uh, good science fiction shows repeat all the time Uh, With their visual trickery, they create this portal that is present in the very space before us. And so this is how we begin to think about God. To recognize that while God is fully apart from everything God created, God has not disconnected from everything that God has created. Quite the contrary, the Bible gives us ample proof that God is deeply interested in everything that God has created, and no more interested in anything than God is interested in you, in the chief among God's creations, the human beings. And so we recognize that while God is entirely apart from our comprehension, God is personally connected with it and involved in our lives. So we call this revelation, revealing nature, that is God's self-revealing nature. Now when you think revelation, a lot of people immediately jump to that book in the Bible called Revelation, and not revelations, please, revelation. These are both words used in two different contexts that mean the same thing. Revelation as a book of the Bible is a particular story of a particular revealing that occurred for John of Patmos when he was taken up into heaven and witnessed things to come from God's utterly timeless state of being. What we're talking about in this doctrinal standard is that that's nothing new. God does that. God intervenes and interacts with time and space and human history and even our personal lives all the time. And this is God's revelation or revealing of God's self. Now, I know that must sound kind of circular, but it's really important to get down exactly what we mean by that. But let's confess right away that it is difficult and almost impossible to really define revelation and to come up with two or three Christians or anyone, really, who can agree on exactly how God reveals God's self. There are people that you will meet who say they've heard God speak to them audibly, and there are those who, like I have often experienced, will see God's hand in their lives, but often in the rearview mirror, meaning that as we look backward over our days and weeks and months and years, it becomes apparent that God was involved and that God had done something. And sometimes God will place before us some sign that God is present and involved. These are all different ideas of revelation and some more acceptable than others, And as humans will do, we're rather uninclined to trust the testimony of everyone who should speak of a particular revelation. And that's the problem. When a uh, person in history begins to say that they've heard the voice of God, that God has given them direction, there are plenty of rational speaking people, uh, rationally speaking people, who say, That person's a nut, and there's probably no truth in what they're saying. They're just kooky. Well, that could be said until God validates what they are saying in some way. This is the difference, in fact, between God's revelation through signs and wonders and prophetic word. God will, in time say things to us by way of the prophets that will not be validated until long after the prophet is gone. And then we'll look in the rear view mirror and see that the prophet truly did speak the word of God. And this is in fact, God's way of revealing the, uh, not so much validating this, uh, this person, but revealing that God does exactly what God says he will do. And so the first thing we understand about God's revelation is is that when God speaks, God speaks the truth. God speaks as the one with authority over all of creation, space, and time. And therefore, when God tells us something through a prophet that we may not trust or believe at the time, it will be validated later on. And that will be our sign that God was at work. In the same way, signs and wonders and miracles serve as a way of recognizing that God is involved with the thing. For example, in churches where there is a tradition of speaking in tongues, generally the babblings and ramblings of a person aren't taken too seriously until another person has a unique interpretation. To be specific, I'm talking about When someone speaks in a language that is unknown to them, and then another person in the room is able to interpret what they say, there is a sign of God's presence. Now we don't see that sign expressed too much in my Methodist church background, or Catholic church for that matter, but in many religious traditions it's not that uncommon. And it isn't really God favoring one religion over another with the gift of tongues, but rather God revealing God's self in a way that is most effective for the particular individuals who have gathered to seek God. And by the way, that's an important thing to learn. You gotta be genuinely interested in seeking God before you're actually going to find God. And you'd be amazed how many people go to church on Sunday and they're not particularly interested in God showing up, it might throw their plans off in some way or another. So divine revelation is what we're talking about. That is to say, God's sharing of God's self with us for God's purposes. You see, God doesn't really owe us an explanation. We're not actually going to seek God and say, God, you have to prove yourself. God. I want to believe in you, but I'm not until you show up. You know, we, we, we can't say things like that because it's another one of those things about God that we have to accept that in order for God to be God, God has to have absolute authority. And there is nothing that is more frightening in my mind than someone shaking their fist at God and declaring their unbelief and their absolute lack of respect for God not because God is vindictive and may strike them down like with a bolt of lightning, but because this is the most hardened, most bitter kind of sin that there is. Because ultimately sin is rejection of God. And sin is by its nature something that separates us from God. Therefore, when you reject God, You are sinning. Now, for those of us who believe in God, love God, and seek God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, there are those sinful moments where we've ignored God or neglected God. There are those sinful times when we've chosen our way over God's way. But that atheist who shakes the fist at heaven and says, I don't believe in you, and that person who says, creation was an accident that just fell neatly into place and Beethoven and Bach were simply accidents and the Mona Lisa and the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel were just accidents and that beautiful created being that two loving parents gave birth to was just an accident. Well that's about the most insulting thing you could say to the creator and This, I believe, will come with a heavy price in the future. And so we would do well to believe that God is in the business of self-revelation. We would do well to recognize that God means for us to see God's handiwork as a sign of God's presence. So, historically speaking, this has been done by faith because in the early days... Everything that was created was seen as uh, a, a work of God, in most people's minds, of the religious order, and science was a big threat to that. It was easier to say that we believe God made everything, that God revealed everything, and therefore it is as it is. even if we don't understand how it works. And so when scientists and thinkers began to explore the, the creation and began to explore how to resolve problems like disease and hunger and how to uh, uh, implement uh, methods and means of taking better care of creation, they were often met with resistance because of the uh, fear that this explanation for what God does would somehow take away God's authority over it. We live in times where, if one is open minded and thoughtful, you can easily recognize that God is the great, majestic genius that science is readily and frequently revealing. And I, frang- I frankly, I find it easier to believe in a God who has crafted creation with intricacy and uh, genius. It's much easier for me to believe that God was uh, systematic and thoughtful about how God created things. And the fact that God uses these fundamental building blocks of the atoms and uh, of the DNA strands and uh, the various components that are invisible to the eye but essential to to the construction of nature and creation, then uh, I see in this evidence of an incredibly awesome creator. The truths of the gospel are gradually spreading across the world, yet despite the great distances between groups of believers, it seems as if they all occupy one house, says Irenaeus in 130 uh, A.D., Their common faith draws them together in heart and soul. They speak the same words, they proclaim the same message. There are many different languages in the world, but one Christian doctrine is conveyed in all of them. Thus the church in Germany believes and proclaims exactly the same message as do the Spanish and Celtic churches. And it is the same messages as that preached by Christians in Jerusalem which is the center of the world, just as the sun which was created by God is the same thought uh, throughout the world. So the same truth now shines in every nation and enlightens all those who respond to it in spirit of faith. Now see, Irenaeus, way back at the beginning of the Christian calendar, has recognized that certain truths are universal And so accepting that God is the great majestic genius who has created everything gives us a universal acknowledgement of God that transcends all the languages and cultures of the world. There are really only two ways you can look at creation. It's either a random accident or it is the ordered and well thought out design of a great majestic genius and the remarkable thing is is that it was created perfectly in the beginning and it was sin that changed that so that we would gradually turn from god and steer further from god with the passing of each generation that is to say to turn from the uh original form, handcrafted by God. So, when we think about these things, we recognize that even in ourselves, even in our own ability to think and do and be like God, we see signs of God's revelation. Therefore, when you are speaking with another person, particularly another believer, another faithful person who, who desires to love and serve God, you're hearing the voice of God. Now hear this clearly because I don't want to make this sound like something it's not. This is not a new age message here. What we're really talking about is the fact that we were created in the image of God. Look at all of creation and through the eyes of science and uh, critical thinking it's easy to recognize that creation is the same in many ways, that the basic strands of DNA and the atomic structures of many things interact. In fact, we can look at the physiology of wild animals and see very similar physiologies in ourselves. We can look at the uh, atomic and uh, uh, microscopic nature of certain things and recognize that they are the same, even when they are from the plant kingdom. And so on it goes. And so what is it that really separates humanity from everything else that God has created? It is that made in the image thing. And in what image? Are we going to say that God is a man or a woman? Or that God is white or brown? or green, or yellow, or purple, or pink, of course we're not saying that. What we're saying is is that God has given us a mind like God's own, a soul like God's own. And therefore, we reason with the same ability as God, with the same thought as God. Now earlier I said that God is wholly other and wholly apart from everything that God has created. But that is not to say that God is so different from what God has created. Now, listen to me. I don't want to say this in a foolish way. We can't really know for sure what God looks like, smells like, tastes like, or any of that. But what we can know is that God probably created out of God's own base of knowledge and understanding of creation. That is to say that when we're made in the image of God, we probably aren't that different. In the same way, we could say that the realm of God that is outside of space and time may not seem all that different from the realm of humanity that has been tainted by sin. And so from a theological standpoint, we recognize that God may be wholly apart from everything God created, but not entirely different from everything God created. Therefore, When we think about God's self revealing nature, it's not that hard to recognize the voice of God in this podcast or is in in an expression of a written word. And perhaps you know where I'm going with this then. You know, apart from having a one on one conversation with God, like Adam did or Moses, or some of the other people who had a unique relationship with God, there would be only one other source that we can lay hands on that gives us a very comprehensive understanding of God's nature and a very comprehensive understanding of the heart of God. It's the Bible. When you read the Bible, you have this unique document that has been created in order that God might be known throughout the ages by countless millions of people whom God created. And what God wants us to know about God isn't so much what he looks like, or she, or as we like to say uh, in proper uh, speech, we just say God and we try not to assign gender. Then what we find is, is that God isn't revealed so much in Uh, sight and sound and uh, tactile ways, but in the heart of God. The mind of God is revealed. The way that God thinks, the the way that God prioritizes things, these are the things that are revealed in the Bible. And when we begin to get in touch with the values of God, with the the, uh, tastes and desires of God... When we get to know God on this deeply personal level, we suddenly understand that God has been revealed to us. Because the real revelation that changes relationships is not in the sight and sound or the presence of a being as much as it is in the heart and mind of a being. And so here's a real twist for you. Our study is called Knowing God with Heart and Mind. And in fact, we could say it is a study of knowing God's heart and mind. Because when our hearts and minds are engaged in the seeking of God's revelation, we will find God in the knowing of God's heart and mind. And what does God care about deeply? He cares about us. God cares about his creation. God cares about suffering and oppression. God cares about being uh, and seeing peace and love and reconciliation. And these are the things that are at the heart of who God is. And when you see love and selfless sacrifice being expressed by a human being, you're seeing the image of God. When you see beautifully beautifully created things, works of art and music. And when you see all of these human endeavors that result in healing of the sick, restoration of those who suffer from some malady or another, the feeding of the hungry, uh, the, the great scientific achievements that uh, in some way relieve human difficulty, we're seeing the heart of God. Now, this may be hard to hear because you and I both know people who are card-carrying atheists, who have created things that were beautiful, who have resolved great problems in human society. And this is what I believe is most remarkable about God's revelation. God reveals God's self even through those who don't acknowledge God's existence. And so it doesn't matter whether Bach or Beethoven or a great painter or artist or some great uh, uh, literary genius or some wonderful uh, human being who has relieved the oppression of others, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., for example, or a Gandhi or Mother Teresa, you know, these people were flawed individuals. And some loved God more than others. Some may not have loved God at all. These artists and geniuses may have had no particular interest in God, and yet they created things that could only come from a mind like God's own. Think about that for a while. How does God reveal God's self? Through us, through each other. And so, my Christian friends, when you're encountering those people with whom you disagree because they don't share your beliefs, keep in mind that God may be speaking to you through them nonetheless. And to my unbelieving friend, I say, I wish you could believe as I do, but I want you to know that God still speaks to me through you. That God's voice is just as readily heard through you in your disbelief as God is through me in my Total Belief. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's lesson from the Christian Believer, Week 2, Revelation. It has been my pleasure to share it with you. And I would invite you to come back again next week for lesson number three, which will be the uh, scripture And this book that I was just talking about that has somehow become our key instrument of knowing God's heart and mind. You'll have some reading assignments for next week, so let me give those to you now. And uh, I would ask that you read the following pages that I'm going to give you in a minute, the following passages. And uh, I want you to especially uh, look for Uh, signs in these passages of how God's mind becomes permanently revealed in a written text, and how God's transcendent ability preserves even a written text. So read 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Read Ezra 7, Ezra 7, Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah 8, and then read Psalm 119. Psalm 119. That's your reading assignment for next week. So, be sure you tune in next week for this podcast and keep in mind that this is possible because I'm employed. I keep trying to think of a better way to say this to you. I can't tell you to send me money so that I can do this podcast. And I can't tell you to uh, support our advertisers because we have none. And I don't charge a subscription for this, but I serve a church called Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. If you're a part of that church, keep supporting it with your financial gifts and with your presence as you worship God through God's tithes and offerings from your second-mile giving. If you're not part of the Shiloh Church but you'd like to be, well, I can promise you you'll be made welcome there, and you will be uh, among family and friends on your very first visit and if you're a distant listener perhaps a friend from a previous church I love you and I miss you and I care about you and I want you to be blessed so please don't just don't just listen to this also find yourself a place to be with other believers find a place to serve alongside them remember God reveals God's self through the voices of others even those with whom you don't necessarily agree. And in hearing them, we open our hearts and minds to hearing God. Let us close with the prayer of an unknown 14th century author. Lord God, I find prayer hard and constraining. I have little devotion, but afterwards, with your help, I will have devotion and it will become restful and easy for me, though it was hard before. Then I shall have very little labor or none at all. For then, Lord God, you will work as you please, not always, not even for a long time together, but as you please. And it will seem a joyful thing for me to leave you to do it. Perhaps it will be your will to send out A ray of spiritual light piercing the cloud of unknowing between you and me. And you will show me some of your secrets, of which a person may not or cannot speak. Then I shall feel my affection all aflame with the fire of your love, for more than I know how to tell. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.